0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. If you'll excuse me, let me get my timepiece out of my pocket so that I can not look at it again. But I can pretend like I'm conscientious of our time that way. And this morning we dive into a text, into a subject, and it is of a paramount importance for all of us present. It is the topic of what it takes to follow Christ. What it takes to follow Christ. And why is it so important that we look at what it takes to follow Christ. It should be basically a, a given as we gather in church this morning. I mean, how many sermons have been preached? How many lessons have been taught? I, I, believe, I believe we got that one, Brother Jason. We understand what it means to follow Christ. We understand uh, what you're going to be preaching here. We understand you know, what you're going to be talking about. I mean, this isn't some kind of new phenomenon. Since the days of Christ... People have been rejecting Christ, though. Ever since the days that, that Christ came and walked on this earth, well, the people, even though they've saw Him, and even though they've beheld Him, and even though they've seen His glory... Uh, they have rejected him. It's it's something that's been going on uh, since the beginning. And that's why we touch on this subject. That's why we touch on what it takes to follow Christ. Because we want to recognize that there are going to be some costs associated for us. There are going to be some things that happen in our lives if we're going to follow Christ. And quite frankly, because people are still rejecting him. And quite frankly, the rejection of Jesus Christ is is... Is almost it's it's inexplicable to me. I don't I don't understand it when someone rejects Jesus Christ. I don't understand where they come from, but but it goes all the way back. John 1 says that he came to his own, but his own received him not. Matthew 7 says that when he was here, the people were astonished by his teaching. John 7 46 says that. When they beheld him, they said, never has a man spoken like this man. They recognized his authority in his teaching. They recognized that he was saying things and doing things that they had never beheld before, that they'd never seen before, that they'd never had any contact with. They'd never been, been with a teacher who could do that. In John 9, we see that they have to recognize that the things that he was doing were, they were divine. The blind man says to the Pharisees, he says, Why, here is a marvelous thing. You don't know from where he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. If he was not from God, he couldn't do this. They acknowledged his teaching was supernatural. They acknowledged his healing was divine. In Luke 8, we see that... They say that his power is accepted when they say to him, what kind of man is this that he commands the wind and the rain and even the the waves listen to him? They acknowledge that his power was supernatural his teaching was supernatural his healing was divine they they were fed by him by a few loaves and a few fish they were healed by him the blind men saw the the lepers uh, had the spots removed all of these things happened and so given all of that you would think surely to goodness if you could see all that firsthand that everybody would have acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord and yet The same people walking with him were the same people who would reject him. And free Barabbas put Jesus on the cross. They would reject him. And so fast forward to today. We have all of those stories that we see in the Holy Writ of Scripture. We have all of the miracles we see. Plus we have a few thousand more years of miracles to call on things that Jesus has done since the day He ascended to heaven in all of our lives and all of our presence. The way that we can behold His glory and see Him when He heals someone, when He fixes a brokenness that we can't explain. All of these things happen and yet still in this world what happens? People still reject Jesus. And so as we dive in this morning, I want us to look at just three things about what it means to follow Christ. And would you please stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Matthew chapter 8. Beginning in verse 16. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. And then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man's nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. Let the dead bury their own. Let's pray. Father God, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom and the mercy and the grace. God, we thank you that we can follow you, Jesus. So God, let us look this morning as to what it takes to follow Christ, what it means to be a believer, Lord Jesus, and and sanctify us, draw us nearer to you, and change our lives this very morning, that we would leave differently than we arrived, Lord Jesus. God, we will never take credit for our own selves, but we will give you the praise, we will give you the honor and the glory for what you do, and all of God's people said, and you may be seated. The first thing that we're going to look at about what it takes to follow Christ is there's got to be a healing of the Savior. There's got to be a healing from the Savior, you might say. And so here we find ourselves in this text in Matthew. We're just following the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's chapters 5... Through seven are are the displays, the, the recordings of the great sermon on the mount that was preached by Jesus Christ. And so he preaches five, six, and seven of the gospel of Matthew from the mountaintop. He's preaching this sermon. He comes down from that sermon on the mount, and we see three miracles chronicled. First, we see that he touches... The leper. Now, just the fact that he healed the leper, he could have spoken him healed, but he touches the leper. He's showing everyone that this man is going to be healed, he's able to be touched. So he, he restores this leper on his way down. And then it says that a centurion comes to him. And ask him to heal his servant. And Jesus does that from a distance. He just heals him in that moment even though he hasn't touched him. Peter's mother-in-law lay with a fever. And Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law and he heals her. And as Jesus accomplishes these things, he's just preached a sermon on the mount. He's, He's spoken like no one has ever heard a preacher preach. No one has ever heard a teacher teach. He has been healing the sick before that time. He has been healing the sick since that time. And my friends, don't you know that if that's going on, even today, if we hear of something going on and we hear of something amazing happening and there's a a teacher that's teaching like no one has ever heard, there's a singer that sings like no one has ever heard sing, people start to come to hear about it, don't they? People start to come in throngs and, and it's no different as what's happening here. The people have heard that Jesus is a divine healer. They've heard that he is an amazing preacher. And so they're coming and they're coming in throngs and they're bringing their sick. The people who had been sick for some time and they didn't know how else they were going to be healed. And so it says that he has the people come to him and they bring the throngs of people. Now Jesus has just preached and he's bound to be tired. But what does it say that Jesus does? It says they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits without a word. And he did what? He healed all all who were sick. And so even though he had just preached an amazing sermon, even though he had healed so many people, even though he could have done any number of things, Jesus, even though they're not really coming to, to say, you know, what's your explanation of that sermon on the mount? What Could you give me a commentary on those words that you spoke? Jesus heals them. So let's think about that just a moment. Why did Jesus heal them all? Was it because he was so compassionate to them? Perhaps Jesus was definitely compassionate to the sick. He was definitely going to, 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 to be there and feel for them and love them. So Jesus could have been his compassion. But I think if we look at verse 17, we start to see a glimpse into what Jesus is really doing here as he heals them from their earthly sicknesses. He's starting to give us kind of a a glimpse into his kingdom that is to come. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, He himself took our infirmities. And bore our sicknesses. So it says here that Jesus not only is healing them because he has compassion. But even bigger than that he is is fulfilling the prophecies of old. The prophecies that were written by Isaiah. Now this comes from Isaiah chapter 53. And we'll begin in verse 4 of Isaiah 53. You don't have to turn there. But I'll read it to you. It says he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. In verse 5 it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute, any of you that have come to a Good Friday service, any of you that have heard me preach through Isaiah 53, you know what I'm about to say. You know what Isaiah 53 is about. Isaiah 53 is the, is the, the precursor, the story of Isaiah that he's writing, giving us a, a glimpse forward to what Jesus was going to do on the cross, bearing our sins, bearing our chastisement, bearing the, the punishment of God upon sin. And Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus doing that. So what is what is this reference in Matthew? you have to do with him fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah? He's not saying anything about uh, forgiveness of sins and going to a cross. He's talking about forgiving sicknesses and casting out demons. And I believe the reason that we get this picture painted for us, because in just a moment Jesus is going to give us a couple of examples of people who fell short Of truly following him. People who truly didn't accept him. People that on the surface looked like they were going to accept him. But they end up having to go away. And I think we're getting a little glimpse into the fact of what Jesus is saying that he has really come to accomplish. And it is this. He did not come that day to heal their physical sicknesses that he was healing on the surface. Jesus was foreshadowing the part that he didn't come to heal Cancer. He didn't come to heal multiple sclerosis. He didn't come to heal uh, HIV. He didn't come to heal uh, any of the other diseases that people get healed from or any of the things that we seek relief from. He came to heal us from a great big source of all that sickness, and that is sin. Can I just tell you that if anybody here, actually, this is a unique group as we gather. We have several people here that could attest to the healing power of Jesus Christ over cancer. And I'm one of them, not because I myself am a cancer survivor, but because because my mother is a cancer survivor. When I was a, a young man, too young to even know what cancer was. My mother faced cancer and Jesus Christ, He he healed her by the power of Christ. He healed her. Many of you here today can say that Jesus Christ had the power over your cancer. He had the power over this. But can I just tell you something? The power of Jesus Christ is not just the power over cancer. That has nothing to do with why he came. If he never healed a single person from the one part of cancer, if he never did that, he would still be an almighty God. If he healed everybody from cancer, that wouldn't be where it stopped with the power of Jesus. His power is not over the single diseases that we see manifested in our lives. His power is not over any which way we see this thing manifest itself in our lives. Jesus Christ came and he bore our sickness when he went, to a tree He didn't bore our sickness when he said your symptoms of cancer have been relieved. He didn't bear our sickness by saying your symptoms of this disease have been relieved. He didn't bear us when he said this financial situation that you walked through. I grant you the relief from it. That's not what he bore. When he went to the cross he bore the source of all of our suffering. And it was a three letter word called S-I-N. He bore it all when he stretched his arms out. It was nailed to each of his hands. Did you know that when Jesus Christ stretched his arms out, he said, I take your sins. He said, I take his sins. He said, I take all the sins. And when I do that, what does scripture teach us? It says, we talked about it last week, creation is groaning for the glorification of God. We're looking to Jesus to come back. Because ever since sin entered the world, scripture tells us that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. And what came with it? Death. That means all the groaning that we're doing, all the cancer that we face, all the death that we endure, all of the things that we have that pull us out of the glory of God and cause us to groan and and moan and weak and, and rumble, they are the result of sin. Jesus Christ, the greatest thing he ever did is not to heal a disease. Jesus Christ, if we're going to follow him, we've got to realize that there's a healing that comes only from the Savior. There's a healing that comes only from the Savior. He didn't come to bless you in some way. He didn't come to fix your problems. He didn't come to itch your scratch. He didn't come to scratch your itch, whichever way you want to say it. He didn't come to make you happy, he didn't come to make you feel better. He did all of those things but that ain't why he came. He never if he if he never did any of those things. If he never did any of those things, he would have done enough by going to that old wooden cross of Calvary. He died in agony, he took the chastisement for our sins upon his Upon himself, He who knew no sin became sin. And when he did that, you have got to be healed by the Savior. You've got to go to the source of all the sicknesses that you endure. Quit fixing the symptoms is what I'm saying. And go to the source. And the only medicine for the problems that we have is J-E-S-U-S. That's it. That's the only healing for the agony and the suffering that we endure. It's Jesus. The first thing we see... Of what it takes to follow Christ is you got to be healed by the Savior. Yeah. you got to be healed by the Savior. There's, there's no other way. second thing we're going to look at is we're going to have to look to the honor of the Savior. We've got to be healed by Jesus, but then we also got to, to go with the honor. Look at verse 18. It says, And Jesus saw great multitudes about him. He gave a command to depart to the other side. A certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. So here we have this scribe comes running up to Jesus. Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's healed multitudes of people. He's sat there no telling how long it took him to heal all the people who came to him. And all of a sudden, here comes this scribe. He comes running up to Jesus. Jesus says, we're going to the other side. And I can just see this scribe as he comes. He hears what's going on and he says, I want to follow this. Jesus. I'm going to go to the other side with you, Jesus. I will go wherever you go, Jesus. Just let me go with you. Now, church, think about that this morning. Boy, if this guy showed up at church with this offer, we'd put him right to work, wouldn't we? Huh? Hey, yo, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I'll go wherever, I'll do whatever, just tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And we'd go, okay. I got just the task for you, young man. But Jesus, he kind of pulls a Jesus here, doesn't he? What's he say? What's he saying? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The Son of man's nowhere to lay his head. So this guy comes up and he says, I'll go wherever you go, Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus answers by talking about birds and foxes and animals. What in the world is he talking about? What in the world is Jesus even talking about here? John 7 says, That they all went to their own houses, but Jesus departed to the Mount of Olives. He departed to the Mount of Olives to pray with the Father because he didn't have a house to call his own to go to. All the others, they went to their houses. He went to the Mount of Olives to pray. Luke 8 gives us insight that there were numerous people, numerous ladies who would be hospitable to Jesus as he traveled on his journeys. And what Jesus is really telling this guy he says you come up here and you want to honor me by saying you want to follow me but what I want you to understand is what that really means. I don't don't have the normal comforts and riches and the things that you're seeking here. The commitment that this scribe was willing to make was, was pretty shallow. It was not rooted in a true desire to follow Christ no matter what. And how did Jesus know that? I don't know how Jesus knew that just on what we see in Scripture. Well, maybe because he's Jesus. But what I know is that Jesus sees this scribe and he kind of sees him the same way that he saw the rich young ruler. You guys remember that that story? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he knows all of the steps. He knows all of the things in his head that are supposed to happen. And Jesus tells him, if you truly want to follow, then you need to sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And the rich young ruler departs. It says he saddened because he had many possessions, so he was he was stuck on his things that he had here. And Jesus knew that when the guy came up to him. Here, the scribes in the the same thing, and sort of what the the scribe is is showing us here is that he has a lot of things in his life and he really wants to add Jesus to those things kind of. He kind of wants this commitment where he gets the things of Jesus along with the things that he has. He kind of wants to enhance his life in that fashion. I have all this and I'd like to add this teacher who can heal people. I'd like to put this healing, teaching, amazing Jesus in my back pocket and hang on to him so that when I need him, I can come out of the things that I have in my own comforts and I can rub my magic Jesus genie bottle and get Jesus to come out and fix the things that I want. Jesus does something when he says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head that I think is very important to us. There are a lot of terms that were used for Jesus. Son of God is one that he could have used and been completely accurate. But that was a showing of deity and sovereignty and high standing. And when Jesus says son of man, he's kind of given us a symbolism of his humiliation. Of his not not taking on the honor that he deserved, but instead making himself lowly. Son of man is the term that's used to describe the Jesus who while he was fully God humiliated himself to come and be fully man so that we might have salvation and be reconciled to a holy God. And so he says, as son of man, as this lowly one who has taken on creation, I don't even have a place to call my own to lay my head at night. I have humiliated myself and made myself low enough that even the wild animals... Even the wild animals, they know where they're going to lay their head at night. But the Son of Man, He has no place to call His own. The birds have nests. The foxes have dens. But I don't have any of that. And what Jesus is trying to point out with this is that if we're going to say that we're going to commit to Christ the way that that scribe was saying with his lips that he was going to commit to Christ, we've got to realize that there's a cost Associated And it means that Jesus has got to be our number one, no matter what, always. And we have to lay aside the esteems of the things that we so love. Jesus was looking for a total commitment. Not a sometimes commitment, not a Sunday morning commitment, not a Wednesday night commitment. A total commitment if he was going to follow him. So what is commitment? Commitment is doing what you said you were going to do long after the time in which you said it has passed. Think about that just for a minute. Commitment is doing what you said you were going to do long after the time in which you said it has passed. Anybody can stop smoking when they run out of cigarettes. Anybody can quit drinking Cokes when they just finished their last soda pop. Anybody can commit to doing something when they're in the mood to commit to doing that. The scribe is in the mood to commit to Christ. Why? Because he's just seen what Christ can do. He's not committing to the lordship of Christ. He's committing to the things that Jesus can do. Anybody, anybody can commit to following Christ at youth camp. Anybody can commit to following Christ at the greatest revival they've ever been to. Anybody can commit to following Christ when everything's going well. Anybody can commit to following Christ when everything is rolling in a good standing and everything is is good to go. But how will we follow Christ when things start to fall apart? How will we depend on Christ for everything when things start to go this way? Is that when... We'll test our faith and we'll show our faithfulness to Jesus Christ or will we be like the scribe and go our own way? Because we don't see anything else mentioned about this scribe. He doesn't have his name mentioned. He doesn't, somewhere between verse 20 and 21, he just kind of disappears, doesn't he? So he didn't really have that commitment to Christ. So first we see the healing of the Savior. Second, we see the honor of the Savior. And let us look quickly as we close at the humility of the Savior the humility of the Savior. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first, bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. Now this last scribe, he wanted the, uh, the personal riches that came along with Jesus. What do you mean? He says he wanted to bury his dead. It seems like a simple enough request, doesn't it? The man comes, he says, I think I'll follow you, Christ. I'd like to go with you, Christ. I would, I would definitely do that. I want to be one of your disciples. But let me go bury my father first. And that seems logical because we think simply enough in our terms that we use now to bury our father would mean that his father is, is laying dead. And he's got to go to the funeral. He's got to go do the the honorable thing and have the funeral service for his father. And we can relate to that. I mean, even Brother Jason wouldn't say anything to me if I missed service for that one. Surely, that's okay for us to do. And Jesus starts to seem harsh, doesn't he? Because he doesn't respond by saying, Okay, well, go ahead and come see me after the funeral. He says, follow me. Let the dead bury their own. You follow me now if you're going to follow me. You leave the dead to bury their own. But it's not really harsh if you unpack this just a little bit. And we'll do this really quickly. The guy says, let me bury my father. And in this culture, there would have been a lot of of information that he was given in that. One, to bury one's parents, to bury one's parents, would have been the last thing that an honorable child would have needed to do in order to receive their inheritance. So follow me. Upon the death of his father, his inheritance would not have been his. His inheritance would not have been his until he had done the honorable duty of laying his father to rest. And if he didn't, his inheritance would pass to the next person in line for it. And so when he says, let me first go and bury my father, he's not referencing the fact that his father is already dead. He's saying, I've lived my whole life building up for this inheritance of land and money and all of these things I'm going to receive. And Jesus, if I go with you, if I go with you, I'm going to have to sacrifice all those things. And I've lived really, I've lived my whole life waiting on those riches. I've lived my whole life waiting on these things. And and Jesus, if, if I go with you now, I forfeit all of that. Jesus, just let me stay behind My father's going to die. I'm going to see that he's buried properly. And and when I do, I'm going to receive my inheritance and then I'll come find you wherever you're at. And Jesus says to him, if you're going to follow me, you can't be stuck worrying about your financial gain that you've got to get first. You can't be worried about the money that you're going to get first and the inheritance you're going to get first. You've got to honor me by following me and forsaking everything else. What's got to be most important to you is that you follow me. Let those who are spiritually dead, let those who don't have eternal life, let those who don't know me, let them worry about being in line to get the inheritance. Because you need to be worried about an inheritance that isn't measured in dollars and cents. You need to be worried about an inheritance that's measured in an eternal life. You've got to focus on me. And what Jesus is really pointing out with all of these, all these stories about these, this scribe and this other disciple, he's, he's showing us this. Our commitment to Christ can't be focused on the pleasures of this earth. We can't come to Jesus as if he's some kind of Jesus genie in a bottle. I'll rub him when things are bad and I'll put him up when things are good and I'll stick him in the box and I'll pack him back away on the bookshelf. Because that's where I want him. Because I don't want him to get out otherwise because he's going to start revealing sin and things in my life that I don't want him to reveal. So let me put Jesus back up. But, oh, wait a minute. Things are bad. Let me get my Jesus bottle back out. and Jesus, 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 make everything better. No, Jesus says to follow me means that you forsake everything else and follow me. The most important thing in your life has to become Jesus Christ. But you know what's amazing about really following Jesus Christ? Is that once you've come to know the healing of the Savior that we started with. It's kind of easy to want to forsake all the things to really follow Jesus. Because once you receive the healing of the Savior. That means you had to realize the sickness that you had. And I don't know about you guys. But when I think about the fact that I had a debt of sin that I couldn't pay. That I had a debt of sin that I couldn't pay. And Jesus paid it all. I can't think of anything that I'd rather do than glorify my God. I can't think of anything I'd rather do than glorify Jesus Christ. With my words, with my deeds, with my actions, does that mean I get it right all the time? Of course not. I messed it up this morning already. But it means my desire is to serve the Lord with Gladness. So what does it take to follow Christ? First you've got to be healed by the Savior. Then follow Jesus in obedience and commitment. And remember this as we close. Jesus is either worth everything. Or he is worth nothing. And there is nothing in between those. He's either worth everything. Or he is worth nothing. He either died for my sins. And was resurrected and is sitting on the right hand, waiting to come and get his children. That's either 100% true and he is worth everything. Or it's 100% false and he is worth nothing. There is no in-between following of Jesus Christ. He's either got you all or he doesn't have you at all. Let's pray. Father God... God, we come to you this, this morning, Lord. And we thank you. We thank you that on that old rugged cross you bore our sins and our griefs and our sicknesses and our pains when you took the chastisement of our sin, Lord God. And God, we recognize that you are worth everything. And so God, somewhere in this house, there's someone here who's holding back, Lord, who's not giving you everything. They've got sin in their life. They've got a, a scattered relationship in their life. There's something going on that's holding them back from worshiping you and giving you their all. God, would you convict them this morning that they would lay that at your feet. And leave it at your altar, Lord. And God, maybe there's someone here who's never experienced the healing of the Savior. Someone here who's never been forgiven of their sins. Who's never cried out, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be saved. God, would you give them the courage and the conviction to stand this morning. And surrender it all to you. And it's in your precious heavenly name we pray. Amen. Amen.